Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Pleasure to welcome onto the show uh, an Olympian uh, who may be better known now as a rugby caller, of course, Martin Gillingham out of the UK. G'day, Martin. How you doing? I tell you what, you're talking me up. I can only let you down from here on in. I hope, I hope I'm not too much of a disappointment. And, um, and the slightly worrying thing is you talk Olympian. Do you know what? I mean, I was only a kid then, and I'd like to think I'm not too much of an old man, but... It's almost 40 years ago. It is terrifying. So 1984 seems like yesterday, doesn't it, Martin? I mean, I, I, I wasn't an Olympian, but I remember watching Kevin Barry fight Evander Holyfield at those games back here in New Zealand. No, you're right. I mean, it, it is remarkable, isn't it? And, um, I mean, put me to one side, but if you think of some of the great names who were competing in uh, in those games, I think it was, was it Michael Gross, the German, who was a sort of the king of the... Um, King of the Pool, and then on the track, of course, we had the likes of you know Sebastian Coe, we had uh, Daly Thompson, Carl Lewis, of course, four gold medals, and and um, the thing, you know, that's almost four decades ago. It's uh, it's frightening, really. How time passes. How time passes, indeed, mate. I mean, you know, it wasn't that long ago that England looked like a, a world power in rugby, but after a fifth in the Six Nations oh, last year and, you... <laughs> and losing to Scotland this year, <laughs> you, I mean, boy. You... I can see. Look, I walked straight into that. You've had this scripted from the <laughs> off. Haven't you? Um, I wish yeah. I was that clever. But no, <laughs> I mean, let's let's talk a bit about Six Nations and the way things are at the moment. Um, I mean, two teams really stand out at the moment: France and Ireland, of course. France having beaten the Irish um, in Paris, and you get a sense. And I'm going to draw one of two conclusions here that. Had that game been played in Dublin, then maybe it could have gone the other way. So, in my view, France and Ireland are a class apart. France are a proper rugby team, I think, now for the first time in a long time. Um, and what is between them and um, and a Grand Slam? I think they're more likely to have trouble on a Friday night in, in Cardiff against Wales than they are at home against England on the basis and the evidence of what we've seen so far. And I'm quite looking forward to um, 
being in attendance at both of France's uh, last two matches. I mean, Ireland, there's no doubt that they've taken huge strides after hitting a bit of a flat spot. Um, Wales, not surprisingly, with a lack of depth and many injury issues, um, have not um, put up really a particularly good defence of the crown, although, you know, they exposed England in one or two ways at the weekend. Scotland are what Scotland are, which is capable of beating England in the Calcutta Cup and doing it, I think, pretty impressively, really. But then they're also capable of um, going to a poor Wales, losing in Cardiff, and then getting trounced at home by the French. And Well, Italy are just Italy, which is all a bit sad because, um, you know, their string of, what is it, is it 34 or 35 games mm. now? 35, I think it is consecutive defeats which which is which is a bit sad it is a bit sad um on on france i mean the last weekend when they went to scotland there was a lot of talk well they don't go well in scotland they don't travel well over there the scots play some decent rugby obviously we know that they beat they beat england earlier um i i think the worrying thing for the rest of the rugby world is that france well they could be brilliant on their day it wasn't always their day but they seem to have found some consistency yeah, I mean, I, was, um, I wasn't at the game last weekend. I was down at Twickenham watching um, England leak oil on the way to beating Wales. But I was in, um, in Edinburgh two years ago when, in the end, uh, Mohamed Hawass, the tight head prop, is um, launching the boat race of <laughs> Jamie Ritchie with that straight right underneath his own post in hindsight cost France, I think, um, the title, really, and perhaps even the Grand Slam. Um, and I remember two years before that, yeah, I don't know if you remember the game, but the uh, the French went and had a party after the game and uh, that attracted the interest of the police and one or two of the players were dragged off the plane on the way home. So mm. Edinburgh's not necessarily been the, ha- the happiest hunting ground for France, largely because of their own ability to implode, which in my view is always the problem with France, which is why I still worry for them when we get to a World Cup next year. I mean, how on earth are they going to go through two months of rugby without at one point imploding and doing it at a critical point? But on the evidence of what we see so far, I mean, I think they are they are on, on home turf. They're the best team in the world at the moment. Yeah, I don't think yeah, that's, that's too much of a stretch to say that. Um, that you, we also talked a bit about Italy, and there's been all that chat about South Africa coming in and Italy being jettisoned. I, I, I know the um, Six Nations have come in and said that's not going to happen. But Italy, I mean, when they fronted against France in the first game, which you know is probably the toughest draw of anyone, they actually looked reasonably capable and they gave France a lot of problems. I had France winning that by sort of 30 or 40, but it didn't really play out that way. No, that's right. I mean, it's a bit like a boxer going in the ring. I mean, they sort of dance around the ring for the first two or three rounds and they cope well. But then after they've been whacked a few times and they get on the seat of their pants, I mean, some of the spirit goes. But, I mean, I was in Treviso 48 hours before England beat Italy um, at the Olympic Stadium back in, what was that, round two. Mm. And I went to see England under-20s take on Italy under-20s. Now... The Italy under-20s had never beaten England in um, the under-26 nations, which is a competition which runs parallel to the, uh, to the main competition. And Italy beat England 6-0. Now, bear in mind, this is an England side which 
eight months ago, and of course being under 20s is that almost year-by-year year turnover of players. So we do have to bear that in mind. But eight months ago, when they played the last under-20s, England performed the Grand Slam. And with some of those players, they were beaten by Italy mm. in Treviso. And um, it was in recent years one of the most special moments that I've attended, not just in rugby, but in sport, because here we saw, you'd like to think, a little sort of sneaky look into the future of Italian rugby. Um, and let's hope it's not a false dawn, because it's a good England side. It's an England side who a number of players who played in the Premiership, I'm talking obviously about the under-20 level here, um, all of them on professional contracts, against Italian players who don't even play in the professional league at home in Italy. And I think we got a little look there which suggests that Italy are an experiment or is an, is an experiment worth staying with because what do we do? We cut off Italy from the Six Nations and Italian rugby pretty much dies. Or we stick with them and put some faith into what is coming through. And um, I think in fairness, I, I, I saw something in there which told me that maybe, maybe in a year or two, there might be something more from this Italian team. And uh, that would be, be great for the Six Nations because they, they need six competitive teams. Otherwise, this chatter South Africa will continue. Uh, we should talk England, though. I mean, Luke Cowan Dickey's been ruled out for the rest of the tournament. Do we have to? <laughs> Do we have to? How, how big a blow is that? And, I mean, England finished fifth last year. I mentioned that at the top. Um, if they don't really challenge, if they don't give, you know, if they don't give Ireland a good run, if they don't give France a good run, uh, I mean, is Eddie Jones really the man for the job? What do you think we could see a change at the end of this tournament? Well, there is there's a lot of speculation. I think most people, even those who believe that Eddie Jones shouldn't be taking into the World Cup, they firmly believe that the Rugby Football Union, his employers, will not remove him before the World Cup. He's in that respect, his his position is uh, is pretty safe. <coughs> Excuse me, but bear in mind they finished fifth last year, and if we look at the table now, both Scotland and Wales, who are beneath England, they have five points apiece. England have ten, but both Scotland and Wales got to play Italy. So I don't think it'd be taking enormous leap to think that well, right, both those teams, Scotland and Wales, are going to pick up five points. Um, England, as you say, have got a home game against Ireland. And then they've got to travel to Paris. Now, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that England could wind up fifth again. Mm. I'm inclined to think the most likely outcome, even if they do lose both of those games, I still suspect they might end up, almost by default, winning just two matches, but still coming third. Um, but again, this is not... You know, to quote Eddie Jones, building the best team in the world. Um, they're not even the best team in Europe. Um, and they're a long way away behind France and a good deal behind Ireland. And it would be a major surprise if they beat Ireland um, next, uh, next Saturday. And of course, it would be an absolute shock if they beat the French. So I do think a poor third place is the most likely outcome. 
but there is still just a chance they might wind up fifth which is where they were last year and that was a point of crisis so should eddie jones still be the coach come um come this time in a month well yeah i think we can work on the basis he he will do but will england win a world cup under eddie jones if they wind up as we expect them to I mean, certainly not. And there are wiser people in rugby than me have said that already. There was a, there was a, a, a I don't know if it was a, a wind-up rumour, but it's certainly a rumour that I saw in a couple of English papers a few months ago suggesting that Rassi Erasmus was being lined up for the job. How do you think that would go down with the establishment? Um, it can't happen. Um, but we must bear in mind, I mean, that story actually emanated from Report, the uh, Afrikaans-speaking newspaper in um, in South Africa. And I don't for a moment doubt their, um, their sources, because it turned out, actually, that Rassi Rasmus, uh, a couple of days after that, wound up in the UK, and he was watching um, watching Scotland play. Um, so, I mean, we must bear in mind that until, until the episodes during the British and Irish Lions tour, you would have thought that it wasn't beyond the realms of possibility, but Rusty Erasmus's reputation, I happen to think quite unfairly, because as you know, I've got a bit of a half a foot in the camp with South Africa, having spent a long time there. Um, he... It is unthinkable. It would be, it would be heresy. I think after what went on um, during the British and Irish Lions tour, where we saw Rassi Erasmus's reputation at this end plummet. Now that may or may not be justified, but I don't think that could possibly happen. No, no. It would be interesting, though. I'd love it to happen just for the reaction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, he's. I mean, let's be frank. I mean, let's chuck it out there, and this stands to be challenged. But he's perhaps the best athletics coach, uh, best athletics coach, best rugby coach in the world. He might be the best athletics coach as well, for all I know. But he certainly, I think, um, uh, he he has pulled together South Africa, and that's anybody really understands the challenges that South Africa has faced over the last 25, 30 years will appreciate what Erasmus has done. He got disparate groups, and bear in mind, you've not just got the obvious black South Africans and white South Africans. You've got English speakers. You've got Afrikaners, who there was always a bit of a rift between that particular group. If you speak to any English-speaking Springbok, he will confirm that. He has got everybody playing for one another in a way that certainly no South African coach has done because even Kitch Christie, who won the World Cup back in um, 1995, did have essentially um, a white and largely Afrikaans-speaking squad. And Jake White wasn't that dissimilar um, in 2007. But he has turned out a truly representative team of all South Africa's various groups and creeds and colors and languages and uh, uh, and cultures and he's got them all playing together and enjoying one another's company 
and it got them to win a World Cup. While all around them, the South African economy is tanking and players are looking to play their rugby out of the country now. In my view, it's one of the great coaching achievements in any sport in the last 25, 30 years. Good stuff, Martin. Thanks very much for coming on and joining us. We'll let you, we'll let you go so you can get back to, to, to watching Forest versus Huddersfield because I know uh, that's very high on your agenda this evening. I've just been told I've just been told by my uh, Nottingham Forest correspondent, my son, that if Forest do beat Huddersfield, mm-hmm. um, they will be facing Liverpool. Yeah, so you get an easy draw in the quarterfinal, which is good. Yeah, got to love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go well, Martin. Have a great weekend, mate. Thanks for your time today. Great stuff. Take care. Cheers. Uh, Martin Gillingham here out of the UK, one of uh, the best rugby minds you'll find out of the UK as well. And uh, great for him to join us here on SENZ, Baz and Izzy for breakfast. It's 9.21 when we come back. We're talking UFC with Mike Angove.